Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. With me today, Jennifer Wilson. Hello, Jim. JJ, so nice to see you. Thank you. And I'm so glad that you're traveling with us as we walk through Exodus in this series called Pack Your Bags. Everybody, you and me and everyone listening, we are traveling somewhere. Yes. We don't often think we are, but we are. We're moving through life. Sometimes we carry a lot of baggage. I've got a lot of stuff I don't need. Well, yeah. <laughs> and you, JJ, are moving into a Matching new house, aren't you? Matching set of luggage. I am moving into a new home. And, 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 that and has I've to got make, a lot of stuff. It has to make you conscious of things you have that you didn't realize. You yes. Had. You know, closets can hold a multitude of sin. I mean, of stuff. <laughs> and anyone who has to move from one house to another apartment to another apartment, whatever, becomes aware of all the things we carry. Yeah. In life, we carry baggage, too. We have baggage from our past. We have baggage from our failures, our shame, our fears, our doubts. There's all kinds of things that encumber us in the journey. I think the scripture calls us to travel light, to lay down our bags Hmm. at the foot of the cross. Let God give us a new suitcase where we can go forward into bright and wonderful new days. Pack Your Bags is the study of Exodus where the Hebrews move out of slavery, of desperation in Egypt, into a promised land filled with blessing and hope and life. And while that's real history, it's also real truth that applies to us today. And today, JJ, as we're traveling with the Hebrews, as we're packing our bags and thinking about the ways in which we can move forward with these truths, we're going to stop at Mount Sinai. And this is one of the most pivotal moments in all of human history, because at this mountain, as the Hebrews are making their way from Egypt to the Promised Land, they're going to meet God in a new way, a way they haven't exactly experienced before. And I don't know about you, JJ, but I've found when I travel with people, I get to know them a a whole lot differently Mm -hmm. than when I just knew them otherwise. (laughs) Well, you either bond or go crazy, I think. But but you get down to the the bare nubs of who we are because... They call it crazy glue for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think we all, you know, when you travel with somebody, you just get all the veneer stripped away because you can't be performing all the time. And so it's one thing to have dinner with someone. It's one thing to just spend an evening with someone or to go to church with them. But when you live with them, when you get up in the morning and brush your teeth with the same sink they do, and you bunk down in the same room they do, and you lug their suitcase along with your own in the (laughs) airport, when you do all of that, and when you're hot and tired and thirsty, you begin to see each other in a kind of naked, transparent way that discloses who they really are and who we really are. And the Hebrews are traveling with God, and they've seen God's power and His majesty displayed against their enemies. Hmm. But at Mount Sinai, they're going to see God in almost a naked way. That is terrifying. Exodus chapter 20, coming up next. Exodus chapter 20 tells the story of the people of God camping out at the foot of Mount Sinai, where God is going to meet them. He meets Moses, and the Ten Commandments are delivered. And where we're picking up the narrative is after the Ten Commandments have already been given this famous outline of how to live. You know, the commandments are grouped into two categories. Mm -hmm. The first grouping defines our relationship to God. It speaks about how we should have no other gods before him. We must not create idols and worship them. We need to remember God and take one day out of a week of seven and... Keep his name holy. Keep it holy, that we must not use his name in vain and so on. These, These first four commandments define our relationship with the divine. And the next six commandments define a relationship with others. Mm -hmm. Don't 
bear false witness, don't murder, honor your father and mother, honor your father and mother, don't be jealous of what other people have, make sure that your sexual conduct is within God's boundaries and do not commit adultery and so on. So these fundamentals really, JJ, have fashioned civilization. Mm. Many, many cultures and many, many countries and many, many places in the world today, even though they don't connect the dots all the way back to the commandments, have secular jurisprudence, which is born out of these commandments. I mean, this is an historic moment for all of humanity in the delivery of the Ten. But verses 18 to 21 in Exodus chapter 20, which follow immediately the delivery of the commandments, is what we want to study today, because this is where the Hebrews are coming to terms with this deeper knowledge of this God that has led them forward, that they're following. Let's read this then, Exodus chapter 20, beginning with verse 18. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the horn, and when they saw the lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, you tell us what God says, and we will listen. Don't let God speak directly to us. If he does, we will die. Don't be afraid, Moses said, for God has come in this way to show you his awesome power. From now on, let your fear of him keep you from sinning. And as the people stood in the distance, Moses entered into the deep darkness where God was. In just a few sentences, we have one of the most dramatic canvases (laughs) ever painted in all of human history. We have this picture of a mountain consumed by the presence of God. Mm. Somehow, this spiritual being that has spoken the material universe into existence is translated in some kind of presence Mm. of natural phenomenon, of smoke and cloud and lightning and thunder. There is this blowing of a ram's horn, the sound and the sense and the heat and... All of the senses, as you've described, J.J., I mean, are engaged, and they're terrified. Mm -hmm. There's something about the moment that is even defying human description. I wonder if these words really even capture what those people were experiencing then. There are few places in the scripture where we get this window open. In Revelation, sometimes there are dramatic portraits painted. But even so, John, who's describing it, doesn't actually have a vocabulary to describe (laughs) what it is that he sees in this realm that is beyond our own experience. The presence of God at some point in some finite way expressed at Sinai has terrified the Hebrews. These are the people of God that he has loved. He's intervened on their behalf. He's walked ahead of them. He's followed up behind them. He's vanquished their enemies. He's obviously on their side. And yet, as they've traveled with him, they're discovering more about him. They're discovering how much more vast, Hmm. how much more powerful, how much more unimaginably great he is. Think about the Egyptian experience of the Hebrews. They were accustomed to living in a world where pagan idols were Mm worshipped. And while they understood that there was an unseen God not made with human hands, surely their concepts of that God were in some way formed by the way in which they saw these other idols worshipped. And so the style of worship or the form or the reverence that the Egyptians gave to their gods, their idols, probably impacted the Hebrews into thinking, well, our God is not carved with stone or wood, but we'll defer to him in a similar way. But what God's doing here is helping them see that he is so far above and beyond anything they could have imagined that they're afraid 
All right, and he's even bigger than than nature. You know, you think of all the the things that the Egyptians also would have had that they worshipped. You know, in, in terms of the sun and the moon and the the water, and he's he's bigger than than that. He's bigger than the seen world. And he cannot be held or controlled, not just by human hands, but even in their human understanding. And that's a truth we must also not forget. It's a terrifying moment, and they cry out. They instinctively want some relationship to this God. There's something in all of us that want to relate to God. I do want to hear what he has to say, but I don't want to be the person who actually is going face-to-face with him. So, Mr. (laughs) Moses, why don't you walk up into the dark cloud? You tell us what he says, (laughs) and we'll listen to you. You're the guy who is the go-between for us. he kind of creeps us out. (laughs) Well, exactly. And and I think there's uh, some footnotes here that we could all take note of, is that sometimes it's easier for us to relate to God through someone else. I want the pastor or the preacher to relate to me, but I don't want to get too close to God myself. It's enough for me to know that this man, who I consider to be holy and wise, is uh, interfacing for me. He'll tell me what I need to know, and I don't have to worry about the rest. There's a part of us that longs for that. Yeah, You know, my son, he's so precious, and every night we pray together, and, you know, I I have helped speak out his prayers. You know, I, I thank God for what I know has happened to him through the day I... I ask for his help with things that I know he needs help with, and, and I talk to him about it. But more and more, I'm, I'm, I'm led, and, and rightly so, to say, Michael, buddy, what do you want to tell God? It's, you need, we need you to, to say it. And he, he gets this kind of creepy, I don't, I don't want to talk to him, you know, like this kind of afraid, shy, you do it, Mom. You know, I'll tell you and you tell him kind of feeling. And I think it's precious on the one hand, but I I want him to have that sense of awe and reverence, but take it to God. And to feel comfortable mm-hmm. that God is inviting him to speak. Yes. And there is this unique tension between the fearful respect of God and the invitation of God to relate to him. Mm-hmm. But at Sinai, it's clear the people want to relate to God but they want Moses to be their intermediary. Mm -hmm. And Moses ultimately becomes that for the moment, although he cannot be that for all time. It leads me to wonder, why am I afraid to myself approach God directly sometimes? Mm. I mean, what is it in us and in me that might inhibit my relationship to God? And one of the things that I think this episode helps me see in myself is that the cloud and the darkness, the tremors and the smoke and fire, all of that are evidence of my own unworthiness. Mm. I know that God is pure and powerful, and the closer I get to him, the more my own weaknesses, my own predisposition to sin, my own failures are exposed and brought to light. I am not properly dressed. (laughs) Exactly. The the flash of lightning that flies from Sinai It's like a flashbulb that captures in a snapshot my own sin. Mm -hmm. And consequently, it's fearful. It's terrifying to get too close. I I want to be in proximity, but I don't want to be so close that I'm exposed. And I think that's a real problem for many of us at points in life. I think sometimes it requires a kind of focus and willingness to sacrifice and, and expose myself to risk that helps me understand that getting close to God isn't really a priority. Yes, I want to be proximate to God. I like to be here at the foot of the mountain. But I don't really want to do the hard work of climbing to the top. I don't want to assume the risks of the unknown. I don't want that cloud or that lightning to come too close to me. And so while I'm interested, I'm not that interested. 
Right, enough to stop what I want to do. And, and that, again, I think becomes a block. And, and I think many of us can identify with the Hebrews at that score. It takes a lot of time. These people are camped out at the bottom of the mountain. God is disclosing his will, his law, his thoughts. But it's coming over time. I need to have a tweet, God. <laughs> <laughs> 40 characters or less. Go for it. I, I, don't, I just yeah. don't have uh, the time to invest in it. And again, many of us don't get close to God because it's not enough of a priority for us that we're willing to invest the time necessary hmm. to explore Sinai, to explore the God who is resident there. Can you think of any other reasons, J.J., why people are sometimes reluctant to grow close? Well, these two kind of go hand in hand. Does he really hear me? Like, is he really real? Is he really there? Like, if I do this, if I explore God, am I just going to come up empty-handed? And if I'm going to find myself walking into a dark cloud, uh, is that really God there, or is it just some kind of other phenomenon? Is it just some other thought, I'm be some disappointed. tradition or culture? Maybe I shouldn't really pay attention to all of the smoke and mirrors. And even if he's real... I'm small, insignificant, does he pay attention to me? Right. We're just illustrating, I think, J.J., that there are many reasons why we don't come close to God. Mm-hmm. On the other side of the equation, I have to wonder with this text, why is God presenting himself this way? Hmm. Why is he allowing himself to be seen in this terrifying mode? What's up with that? Hmm. And I was really wrestling with that until just yesterday. J.J., I, I had an experience where the Lord showed me, I think, something very profound about this. In the scripture text itself, it says, Moses tells the people who are trembling, don't be afraid because God is allowing you to see himself this way so that your fear of him, your respect for him will keep you from sinning. It's not a show. He's disclosing his real nature, a real important and critical peace dimension of who he is and his holiness and his power. And you're seeing that edge of him. Why? so that you will not sin, that you will know that sin has terrible outcomes. Yesterday, I I was jogging at the Y's as my custom. You know, I'm a runner at the Y. Mm -hmm. And the Y in which I run is an old building built 100 years ago in the downtown here, a handsome place, but it has kind of old-fashioned setup. There's a basketball court, a hardwood floor, and then above that, there's a second-story kind of balcony where people can walk, a walking track, but also some bleacher-like seats. And then there's a third level above the basketball court, which is a banked running track. Now, that's where I run. It's banked quite steeply, and there's a chain-link fence just a few feet high that separates the edge of the banked running track from the precipice falling into the basketball court. And it works really well, and I like going up there because I can run and not have to worry about dogs or cars or the rain or the sun, and I can zone out. So I'm running. I have a pace and a clip. I run about eight miles an hour, and I'm 190 pounds, and you know I get going, and I run for 40 minutes, and I'm not thinking. I just, Hard to stop that train. That's yeah. right, and I'm just going around, around, <laughs> around. And every now and then, kids will come up there, and they're not supposed to be there, but you know, sometimes they get up there. And yesterday while I was running, this girl, I'd say 15 or 16 years old, adorable, she comes up with her pink sweater and she's hanging over the chain link fence. And uh, I'm trying to run around her because the bank track isn't that wide. And I'm running around her and she's hanging over the fence, looking down at her boyfriend, this you know, 17, 18-year-old guy down there, he thinks he's Kevin Durant or Michael Jordan. He's (laughs) shooting the 
the ball all around and making hoop shots. And then every now and then he'd throw the ball up to her to catch it and she'd catch it and throw it back to him and laugh and giggle. And then sometimes he'd throw it way up to her and, and she'd miss it and it would roll on the track and she'd step back to get it. But the problem is I'm running around. And yeah. as I am running, she's unpredictable. She's not paying attention to me at all. She's fixed on the guy down on the court. Fine, but it's a running track. And I go through several moments where we have near collisions and I'm waving her off and trying to smile. And then her younger brother comes up and he's all over the place. He's running up and down the track, climbing on the fence. Again, totally oblivious to the other runners on the track. I went through this for about 10 minutes and it became quite tense because at any minute I didn't know when they were going to jump out in front of me and yet this was my time to run and I was preoccupied with that. Finally, after she threw her pink sweater off down on the track and then stepped backward right into my path, I just screeched to a halt and I said with a lot of intensity, I said, whoa, you know what, guys? This is a running track. Now, if you want to run on this track, we're all about that. I welcome you. Get in line. But if you're not going to run, you need to be off the track. You want to play basketball? goes on down there on the court. You want to watch? It's second level. That's the balcony. But this is a running track. It's not a place to pitch basketballs, and I call that out to the guy down on the floor, too. And they all just had eyes big as dollars <laughs> looking at me. And suddenly I realized how mean I must have sounded, how cross I was. And you're how all they sweaty was, and oh, nasty. Oh, sweaty, and nasty, gnome-like. <laughs> icky monster of a man I was and they ran off the I mean they ran out of the building never saw them again <laughs> I thought oh, I, was, I felt so badly about it but you know what as I was grieving over my own kind of cross presentation the Lord spoke to me and said Jim it's just like I was at Sinai because previously I'd been very sweet about it I'd been you know trying to wave them off and make gestures and trying to send them signals that you know this is dangerous it's not just about my convenience it's dangerous for all of us to have all these activities in this small place And it was not until I communicated the rules in a way that they could not forget that they then began to obey the rules of the YMCA where we were. And I thought, yes, because sometimes God is sweet and kind and we just kind of let it roll off and we think, well, I'm not really paying a price for my sin. I'm not really uh, suffering by it. And we just kind of go on and on and our gracious heavenly father will just kind of wink and nod and so on. But when I run into something where I see the power of God, a holy, pure, terrifying God in whom no sin dwells, when I see that God, then I'm stopped in my tracks and I realize if I choose to disobey the rules, I will run afoul of this great being. This moment Mm. at Sinai is the Ten Commandments moment. It wasn't until they were afraid that they had the possibility of being safe and protected. Exactly. And that they would take the rules of God seriously. And still today, we live in a world where people think they can take the rules of God, the revelation of God, and the Word of God, and twist it and stand it on its head and make it mean what they want it to mean. Why do we have to pay attention to that old Bible anyway? Why do we have to live by those old antiquated rules anyway? Why can't I sleep with anyone who's agreeing to be my partner sexually consensually? What difference does it make if nobody gets hurt? Why can't I just deceive others if it's for some noble purpose? Why can't I just have my own will and way? Why can't I define marriage the way I think it should be defined? Mm -hmm. Why can't I just disregard the order of time and not worship God one day of the week and gather together with other believers? What difference does it make? Don't I know better? Oh, after all, God is tolerant and kind and long-suffering. And every now and then, we need to have a Sinai moment where we realize 
God means business when he gives us his word, his will, and his way. And you need to see God that way sometimes so you won't sin. It's not because he enjoys intimidating us. It's because he longs to persuade us that his way is the road of life. Pack your bags. Pack your bags, and as you travel with God, you're going to know more and more about his goodness, his grace, his kindness, his love. But you're also going to know more about his law and how it frames for us life and a future hope and the promised land. Sometimes I wonder, is he faithful? Does he see me in my trouble? Does he understand? Sometimes I question if he's able. Can he rescue? Can he save me again and again? But when I
find ourselves terrified of God if we didn't have someone to stand between us. Mm. Moses did for a while, but he still could not overcome the smoke and the clouds. But God has made a way for us to see him and without fear. And that's in the person of Jesus Christ. He's the one who is the mediator. But even Jesus can turn over a temple table or two. Even Jesus is pictured for us in Revelation as a king on a horse who will vanquish his enemies. But Jesus is the face of God. And when you see him, you see God. And it is his heart, his hand, his touch, his personhood that helps us approach God. And it's through him, he is the one mediator between God and humankind. It's through him that we can not just stand at the foot of Sinai, but make our way to the top. Never forget the power and the righteousness and the holiness of God. Never forget that he has provided a way for us to communicate with him through his Son. And never forget that he has a law and a way that always is the road of life. Wherever you are in the journey today, take a moment and commit yourself to honoring God, to worshiping him, to bowing before him, and to reaching him through Jesus Christ the Lord. Our Father, we're thankful today for the way in which you love us. And like a very kind and tender parent, sometimes you will show us a stern face for our own good, but may we never doubt your love. We thank you for Jesus Christ the Lord, who has come into this world that we might see you and know you, that we might be in communion with you. And we thank you for your tenderness and your grace, your love and kindness. May we never forget that, even when we may fear we are being disciplined. We pray, Lord, that you will lead us all forward into your will and way. Remind us of what are your rules to keep, what we must do to please you, and what we must do to find life. May we never disregard your word, and may we find it a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you for the Ten Commandments, which give us anchors and foundation stones upon which to stand. And we thank you for hearing this prayer, in which we once more admit that we've all been sinners and we've all disobeyed at times, but that we long to be made right with you through the blood of your Son, Jesus, who covers us and has paid the price for our failure. Receive us now once more fresh and new and lead us forward, we ask, past Sinai. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you'd like to know more about how you can be in a whole relationship with God, give us a call. Just dial this number, 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're always, always a live person by the phone, ready, anxious, and willing to speak with you. You can also find us on the internet at cbhviewpoint.org. You can read there about the Viewpoint Ministry, or you can send us an email, and we will respond. Or at the last, just send me a letter. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana, 46018, USA. But by whatever method you choose, please, let us hear from you this week. JJ, traveling with God is an adventure. Mm-hmm. Twists and turns, some things we yeah. may not anticipate, but always with a good end. Yes. Thanks for traveling with us today. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. We hope you'll be with us again next week as we continue our journeys in Exodus, packing our bags for heaven's sake. For all of us at the Viewpoint Ministry team, this is Jim Lyon. Godspeed and stay tuned.